Hello and welcome to Darker Days number... I guess we're going to make this 26, even though we're really just flying by the seat of our pants. We could call it Darker Days XXXXX because it's a lost number. It's a lost episode. Yeah, except it's not really lost. We're just kind of doing it as a filler. All right, so obviously i got Chris with me. What's going on, Chris? Um, apparently um, a lunar eclipse, but it's a bit too cloudy outside my window. And there's really high trees, so I haven't been able to see it. And otherwise, yeah, I'm fine. I'm cool. How about you? Not bad at all. I've uh, been getting some gaming in. Played Vampire the Eternal Struggle last night. And uh, in both games, my prey ran the table and took everyone out. <laughs> which is terrible. I've actually never played Vampire the Eternal Struggle, which is really, really sad. I just never had a chance of uh, playing it. So it should be one of those things I should get some decks for and use it on a on a uh, dead gaming night when certain players don't turn up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a little tough because you need, like, the best games are four or five mm. players. Five is typically the best. Uh, you can play with three, but it's it's not that great, and two-player just doesn't work. Yeah. So it's a little tough to get that sweet spot. Mm. I can imagine. It's it's because it's such a, a it's a social it's a it's a true social collectible card game. It's not like playing say Magic the Gathering, which is I find very very competitive, and it it can lose that social element after a while. Whereas I I've seen with um with Vampire the Eternal Struggle you've got the whole bartering is there there's an element of bartering of blood and and the way that cards interact. Well, typically what happens is you uh a lot of the social interaction comes from the voting cards uh when you have political actions taken yeah uh, and in that case because everyone at the table usually has a couple votes so you have to uh, work together. Uh, and kind of influence people to uh, to get the votes on your side for for the action to pass. That's cool. I mean, that that's actually that sounds distinctly similar to um, to the vote the marble system that uh, David Hill was talking about um, with uh, one of the location ideas in invite only with the whole. You, know, you you have a voting system to have motions passed or to be able to speak. So, um, yeah, no, I really need to play it. I really do need to play it. Um, what have I been doing gaming-wise? Uh, running more Exalted. I finally finished um, the first episode of uh, that game, and the good thing to come out of it um, was making use of social combat. So I'm kind of looking forward to using... The social combat rules in um, in Vampire, and obviously maybe porting it over to things like Mage, um, for when characters are involved in large scale discussions. You know, so you know you're you're at court in Elysium, or you're you have a large meeting of the Mage Concilium, or you know, the world's your oyster with that one. So. Um, yeah, social combat's quite cool to use, actually. It works for those kind of scenarios. Uh, good, good. Yeah. Hey, I played some Battletech. You played some Battletech. You played more Battletech. Uh-huh. Or uh-huh, yeah. how's that going? Yeah. Uh, pretty good, pretty good. 
my catapult uh, did not get destroyed in the game, but I also didn't blow anyone up. So I guess I didn't do that well. Uh, we like effectively won the scenario, but our side lost five mechs, and the opposing side only lost one. Uh, but we were able to break through the line and approach the uh, the power station that we were trying to destroy. I again, I mean, Battletech's another game which I've not played. I mean, back in the day, I played a ton of Warhammer and a ton of Warhammer Forty Thousand, and um, wow, oh, I used to work for Games Workshop in one of the um, small stores. Um, over here, so um, I've played pretty much every game up until the last five years. So um, I think the best war game I've played, uh, that's equivalent to, um, well, something along the lines of Battletech, though. Um, have you played War Machine? Um, I have not. It's basically magically powered mechs um, and in a steampunk kind of weird fantasy setting. That's not a games workshop game, but is, in my opinion, far more fun when the rules are designed around that you can pick up enemy mechs and chuck them around. Um, so it's it's a more light-hearted game, and you can play it in the space of an hour rather than three. So Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with the game, and uh, it seems like it's pretty interesting. They seem to have balanced it by making everything like really over-the-top and extreme. Uh, yeah. As opposed to the more traditional asymmetric balancing you find in like Battletech and Ogre, and you don't find it in Warhammer Forty Thousand. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I when you start running, when you have other things to do in your life and you don't have disposable income, being able to enjoy a game in the space of an hour set up and, and that's it played when it's just you and one other person playing you know i much prefer that and don't have to spend so much money on it which is why i like role play games as well um and also the nice thing about war machine is you can actually play it as a multiplayer essentially you can, they have um if you open the rule books they have like um scenarios like king of the hill or um you can or capture the flag so you have like uh, you, that can be played like two, three, or four. Have four uh, teams, so battle groups of these mechs and their their wizard that kind of controls them. Um, and it seems like, as you say, they've they've gone for Gonzo insane war gaming where the powers are ridiculous. The amount of damage that's getting chucked around is is completely crazy. Uh, the type, the des- descriptions of the attacks are also equally insane, and the scenarios for the games are grabbed directly from, you know, uh, first-person shooters. So, as I say, it's like just fast, fun, and absolutely furious rather than, I shall wheel my unit of troops this single single inch just so next turn I'll be able to make that charge. It's just like, oh, piss off. Um, yeah. But then I'm... 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 Uh, I'm a little cynical about wargaming in general. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. But let's get back to role-playing let's games. Let's get back to role-playing games. Yeah. Actually, let's let's move on to our mailbag segment because we've actually been getting some mail. We still <coughs> get if you mail. Send in, yeah. If you want to send in something, send it over to Mark. What's the uh, email address? Darkadaysradio at gmail.com. 
Come. Send it there, as Mark said. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, first thing we got is uh, get some praise and uh, suggestions from Adrian Stagg over at the Mirage Arcana. And, uh, well, first off, he uh, wanted to remind Mark that uh, the the region or city is pronounced Bondi instead of Bondi. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, he also wanted to offer some uh, suggestions about uh, how to use the hum in your own game. And... Uh, in his own words, uh, he says, I was also thinking about the portrayal of music as the pure language or language of creation. What if the hum is a resonance of creation that occurs in places where creation needs to take a hand in writing things or is simply not finished creating? In this vein, it could be an aspect of the wild uh, subtly altering reality in small but necessary ways, and those who hear the hum are simply attuned to the wild and have a chance of noticing it passing. What if the PCs were somehow attuned and began to realize small discrepancies around them, very small things at first, and seemingly inconsequential in nature? But there could be a pattern which evolves. Uh, from ages, perhaps the hum is the residual effect of paradox, rewriting reality. So I think that's pretty cool, and uh, it gives us a couple more ideas regarding the hum. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, saying about the uh, mages, um, the, the after effect of, um, of Paradox rewriting uh, reality. I mean, um, I've just started looking at uh, some more books for mage as I prep myself for writing that chapter of my setting. Um, but I was looking at... Um, was it Reign of Exarchs, which is the kind of like a, a it's five ready to run stories, which can be put together as a kind of a, a mini chronicle for Mage, uh, the Awakening. And in the first uh, in the first um, in the first story, there is a artifact known as the Ring. And it's the ring of the dethroned queen, who's this for this exarch who got cast out of the supernal realms. And so the ring is not a ring, as in a ring you wear. It's in fact this ornate clapper, and that when it's activated, so when you ring it, and it hums and vibrates, you're able to see uh, more clearly with your mage sight the influence of the exarchs uh, upon um, the fallen realm, and you can see how how the cage of reality is constructed and manipulated. So, again, yeah, you could use the hum as, like... Uh, so, related to that, then, the hum could be people being aware of the, the fact that the exarchs themselves are in some way restructuring the cage of reality. Perhaps. Could be pretty interesting. But, yeah, I mean, uh, what we've, what's been suggested there is all... Yep. Uh, all great as well, yeah. I yeah, mean, the other cool thing is that uh, right after our previous episode, the BBC News actually had an article about the hum and uh, summarized it pretty well uh, regarding what was going on, like the research going into it. Yes, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Mark brought it to our attention that, um, that a village in Durham is the most recent place to report the strange vibrating noise known as the hum. And again, 
if you go to the article on BBC News, they go through all the uh, typical um, spiel about the crackpot theories behind it and ways of explaining it. Everything we discussed on the previous episode. Um, I think there's an interesting soundbite here. Um, it sounds like an overhead power line with this constant humming buzz, says Kevin Fail, who's a 53-year-old bathroom store. It was an mm. excellent name, I feel, Kevin Fail. Um, but, yeah. It's, um, yeah. So, we've now had um, an episode of uh, Darker Days where you start beginning to talk about the underworld and uh, and demons and so forth and in the background when um, when that's been spoken about you have that uh, weird droning sound going on and now we talk about we talk about the hum and we have BBC News talking about it um, a few weeks later obviously Darker Days is on the pulse of something sinister <laughs> and in other news um, we actually got a message from the folks that are uh, running the V20 Europe group and what they're trying to do is they've already got over 50 orders and uh, when they group all these orders together White Wolf is going to drop the shipping costs send them to one location and then they'll distribute them from there so uh, if you live in Europe and I know we have uh, quite a few listeners over there uh, definitely check out their website uh, www.v20-europe.com and we'll put that link in the show notes they're doing a good thing, and you should uh, definitely check it out if you want to save some cash. It's almost a full discount on the shipping, isn't it? Uh, yeah, shipping's going to be free. Uh, you might have to work out with, with them directly how it's then going to be shipped to you uh, once it's in Europe already. I, I believe they're they're being all shipped to the UK, so there may be additional costs uh, after that. Oh, that's really cool, though, for people. <laughs> that makes it a lot better. Um, are they... I don't know whether... Um, is there any news of, them, of uh, people setting up the equivalent for uh, other regions? Um, maybe something for us to look at and alert people to if it does exist? Yeah, I think there's some down in South America, in, uh, like, Brazil. But, uh, yeah, none of them have really contacted us directly like uh, v20 europe has so just wanted to give him a shout out real quick and uh, the other mail that we got was from grumpy kelt and uh, he sent us a link to an article that uh, basically you both chris and i disagree with uh i don't think we're gonna cover it directly on the show but we really appreciate that he uh, sent that in and uh, aspects of it I think will be covered in the future. Uh, it was basically an article or a blog post by some guy who was complaining about the world of darkness and how he didn't, he thought it was like bland, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a complaint about New World of Darkness being, being bland, um, which is something I've heard in places and I feel strongly about, but right now is not the place to talk about it. I think it's better we, we follow that up in a in a later episode where where I've had plenty of drinks and I can just sit here and and, and spit bile and, and tell these people they're wrong and they're playing the game wrong and they should just all go to hell. But really, no. Um when I think it'll be good to return to this and uh you know, once we've had some more time to run it around in our heads and 
see why why really get to the root of why people mm-hmm. think New World yep. Darkness is bland. Um, I find it surprising, to be cool. honest. But um, I've seen I've I've actually on in certain places where I've talked about it, being told that I've actually sold people in New World Darkness in the way that I've explained it. So I don't know what I'm doing that other people aren't seeing as as what you can do with the game. So I think it's a I think the difference is I feel at the heart of it the difference is all about presentation and what you're getting immediately out of the first book or so of the game. Um but yeah we can talk about this until the cows come in and um but we should do this enough time. Indeed. So that's it for the mailbag. Let's hop over onto uh network news. Just uh, just a couple weeks back, Mirage Arcana uh, announced that they're going to be closing their doors. They've uh, talked about what they what they want to uh, on their podcast, and that was it. Uh, episode number twenty six, I believe, about building better villains is going to be their last episode. Oh, yeah, building so better means... villains though is a good good one to go out on, really. Oh, it definitely is, um, and that means that Darker Days is the last bastion. Of the Wild Games Productions Radio Network, the last podcast. Oh, what does that tough. mean for us? I don't think it really means anything. No. <laughs> um, I mean, um, is there anything we are we um, expecting any uh, uh, an upcoming episode again with Harlequin at some point soon on anything to do with the MMO? Because I mean, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that'll ramp up. And it'd be nice to see if we can have something that spins off eventually. That is the Darker Days MMO podcast or something of that. That'd be nice in the future if we can do that. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Um, We're definitely going to have Harlequin back on. He's already offered some suggestions. And I also said that maybe it'd be cool to get uh, some people that have LARPed. Uh, mm. on the show with them so we can talk about the different like emergent behavior that we might find uh, or that has already been developed in in the live action community which can be brought in to the MMO that would be really cool because I mean I've been in always in two minds about LARPing and trying to figure out how I want to add some live action elements into my own games kind of like you know, running a poker night where you're in character as your vampires and then having a few players that don't take, regularly take part in my vampire game being given NPCs to play in the poker game as. So, um, yeah, it'd be nice to have some... We do need more stuff on about Larkin, I think. De- most definitely. Um, yep. Cool. Yep, should be good. All right, let's hop on over to White Wolf News. And White Wolf has put out uh, Into the Void for Vampire the Requiem. Uh, it's a very cool idea for a supplement. Uh, what it basically covers is what happens after the the prince has been deposed, when there's that huge power void that needs to be filled. Uh, it's written by Chuck Wendig, and uh, I have not personally checked it out yet, but I think the concept is very good. Uh, it was previously covered in, uh, in Vampire the Masquerade with New York by night, which kind of had the same concept of like a large power void in the city. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a very good, like broad and, and general uh, supplement for people to use. 
Yeah, I noticed it's um it's a supplement that's presented in the SAS format. So it'll be I imagine because I've not looked at it yet. I imagine it's a number of scenarios, scenes that would more than likely occur in light of a of a prince being deposed. Um, it's something that's yeah that surprisingly not being covered much in other vampire books. I mean, the one book I've I've I'm surprised hasn't been kind of almost updated for Requiem. Uh, do you remember the Gilded Cage for Masquerade? I which is, do. Which is brilliant. I still have my copy and use it for, for, for I use it for Requiem because it's just your your handbook to I'm a hundred years old and I don't have a. The, uh, easy access to bank accounts. What do I do, and how does how would you do it and run it in a believable manner? So, um, but yeah, it's good to see some some. I mean, some small SAS supplements that cover elements like that in a game, which will and inevitably turn up. Um, is it? It's quite cheap though. That as a SAS supplement, then isn't it? The Into the Void. I believe it was seven U.S. dollars, which is um, yeah, kind of what you expect with SAS Adventures. Yeah. In addition, uh, there's been uh, a lot of discussion on uh, the White Wolf blog cast uh, about V20, a lot of these roundtable discussions. In fact, they had their, mm. their first ever live episode on TalkShoe, and yours truly appeared on the show. Really? I was just I just called in. All then, right. And then just ask him a question, and then pimp the podcast. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. You should check it out. Yeah, the um, the roundtables all been quite quite cool, um, especially because they they talk about like um, the art direction in one of the podcasts, and like um, it's quite amusing listening to episode sixty six. If people go looking for it, that features Russell Bailey, and he's just talking about the um, how he has to like get his change his kind of gaming head mindset because he's like I've been doing so much for Requiem and then suddenly I'm thrust back into Masquerade and realizing that I have variable um, uh, dice targets and dice pools and how writing disciplines is the hardest thing ever when you've been doing it for Requiem for so long so it kind of gives you a bit of insight into that um, hmm. into in, it just into how the game's kind of different um, otherwise, I'm not really. I've kind of. I'm not too sure how how busy the um, the V20 Twitter is, or or the um, or the or the uh, the the blog um, as they're putting things up. I think most recently, haven't they put up the uh, Zamishi uh, clan pages? Can't quite remember. Yeah, I think they've finished all of the clans so far, and they've actually moved on to some of the bloodlines. The big thing that they were doing is putting up the uh, from their photo shoot for uh, Tim Bradstreet's artwork. They're putting those up, and you could vote on them. So, like, which Bruja or Bruja do you want? Or uh, ah, right. You know, do you want this Malkavian or this other look? You know, stuff like that. That's kind of neat. That is quite neat. Um. What other White Wolf news is there? Uh, the only other thing I just wanted to mention is the uh, they've been putting out the uh, the novels in uh, segments on the White Wolf website, and 
Uh, I guess we're just going to cover those later on in the episode, but uh, yeah. they exist. And uh, I think Strangeness and the Proportion is done. They've got all the different parts out. And then the Silent Knife has been uh, chugging along. Yeah, I've been reading. Um, I've read some of Silent Knife, but we'll uh, comment on that in a bit. So let's hop on over to the Secret Frequency. And this is where we definitely reveal that we are just completely flying by the seat of our pants this episode. Absolutely nothing planned. So, Chris, what are we talking about? <laughs> um, I think the most random thing to start off with, um, crazy kind of cryptid news, is um, bizarre, unexplained creature photographed in Mexico. Um, and from the picture of its head... I believe that's the only bit that survived after the uh, after the townsfolk went mental and killed it. Um, it kind of looks like the head of a uh, of like a chihuahua, but it only has one eye. It's a it's a cyclops. It looks a bit weirder than that. But the full news on it is that apparently this cyclops-like creature, which is about the same size of a, as a dog, was a uh, discovered in a town um, and it was able to walk on all fours but then was able to stand on just two legs and move about of course witnesses to the event were gripped by fear by this unknown entity and ended up chopping off its head and unfortunately thrown its carcass to the local dogs Meaning, again, it's another classic cryptid, which, if only they kept the body, scientists would have been able to go, Hey, it's a new species. Don't kill it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been um, a, a strange creature to turn up. I think that's one thing that's always been kind of quite interesting to, um, to include in World of Darkness games, is always... Um, the stranger creatures and when I say that is uh, creatures that aren't the typical run of the mill, oh it's a vampire thus it's a kindred or it's a shapeshifter thus it's one of the garu and so forth it's, um, I always enjoy kind of inserting uh, into games things that are slightly more strange in the fact that it's harder for for the player characters to understand what they're dealing with, and also for the players, they may be more surprised because it's it's not oh it's just another kindred or oh it's a, just another mage. It's having that chaos factor in there with something that really has been never seen. What kind of have you made use of cryptids or 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 more you know vampires that aren't normal kindred and so forth in your own games, uh, Mike? No, I don't think so. But uh, mentioning the Cyclops, I initially want to say, like, whoa, that's like one of the uh, only things that is not a splat in the uh, in the old world of darkness, because they like had everything. You know, they had they had genies, they had you know mages, they had Sasquatches, they had everything. But then again, they probably did work those in somewhere into one of the like obscure supplements like maybe a bygone beastry or maybe somewhere in like changeling as a uh, something in the dreaming um, yeah 
But uh, what could this creature be? Um, it's actually a good thing that you bring up uh, talking about cryptids, because that's one of the things that's really really prevalent and strong in the new world of darkness. Having, yes. Having something that you cannot define and making a lot of the encounters of the players unique. Because that's one of the issues you run into, as I was kind of hinting at before, the the old world of darkness. Familiarity. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, oh, I ran into some guy with funky powers. Well, clearly he's a hedge wizard, because that's the only thing there is for, for funky powers. Or, or he's a mage, or something like that, or he's enchanted. Yeah. But there's always... Things are very defined, uh, which is unfortunate when you look at, say, Hunt of the Reckoning, which did try to make the uh, creatures more unknown with, uh, with the enemy books that they released later on, hmm. um, where it offered rules for, like, a, uh, a vampire whose tongue would shoot out, and uh, that's, like, how they fed, which is pretty weird and funky and definitely not what the players expected. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, I mean, you only have to look at in the New World of Darkness. I mean, you, you pick up the core book. You don't even have to pick up any other book. You you just start with that core book. And if you, within the first few pages, you have this wonderful kind of like small uh, dissertation on the different types of cryptids, which cover everything from... Um, you know, things that are, are variants on hominids, so you know, you've got like, you know, various dwarf kind of people and so forth, which you can, you know, being theorized that you can find around in the world even now. I mean, I'm sure there's somewhere in Papua New Guinea, there's still the possibility people are saying that there is some small kind of like dwarf hobbit like race that still exists in the forest there. And then it looks at more kind of random cryptids, which are like, um, so this is all all kind of in character kind of discussion in the in um, in this section of the book. And so they, this character talk, um, has this this dissertation. He talks about um, more more uh, animalistic, bestial cryptids, which covers everything from from uh, you know the chupacra, you know good old goat sucker to um, something like the Mongolian deathworm. And then eventually gets on to um, talking about uh, the stranger ones, which are, which really covers things such as like ET and you know various uh, not ET himself. God, that would be a really crap game of World of Darkness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, extraterrestrials and and stranger kind of creatures like that, which are which are obviously not of this world. Um, but yeah, New World of Darkness does give you a, a lot more. Um, a lot more scope for including them in the games. Um, I mean, one of the greatest things I've done it is just presenting uh, as a as a sh as a one shot for a basic mortals game a group of paranormal investigators uh, a case of what looks like vampirism, and it turns out just to be a, a type of um, a type of spirit which is a a bat spirit, and you know it's, it's just nice to to go yeah okay it's 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 all about vampirism, but it's not it's not kindred. So all your assumptions as a player have now just gone out of the window. And introducing that that uh, that element of surprise and wonder and 
and mystery back into the game for the players, not just the characters, but for the players, is um, is priceless, really. Well, I think that that covers it for our uh, our half-assed secret frequency. So let's uh, jump on over to the old world of darkness. All right. Classic world of darkness. All right, so today, well, originally, I'd been bugging Adrian Stagg and the Mirage Arcana, like, every once in a while about how I should totally be on his show and talk about all forms of gaming fiction, because I've read a lot of it. Um, okay. Fortunately, that can't happen anymore. So, uh, we're just going to talk about the old World of Darkness fiction in this segment, because uh, there was a lot of it. White Wolf started pumping it out, I think, in 1993 uh, with with uh, HarperCollins, and then moved on to producing it themselves. And that continued until about early 2005. Uh, they produced a few things for the New World of Darkness as well. So, um, like I said, they put out quite a bit. Most of it was for Vampire, uh, a lot of it for Werewolf as well. And actually a surprising amount for Wraith the Oblivion. I think there's <laughs> actually more for Wraith than Mage and for Changeling the Dreaming. Wow. And definitely more than uh, than Demon the Fallen as well. I think uh, Hunter the Reckoning had it beat just barely. So, uh, just to get started, I, I guess we're, uh, the format of this is just going to be talking about random things that we find interesting or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like, the first big go-to thing you're going to see with regard to Vampire the Masquerade is the clan novel series. And uh, this comes in two forms. There's actually 13 mass market paperback books and then one anthology as well. Or you can you can find it um, in four anthologies, which actually kind of uh, put them all together. So you read like one chapter from one book that takes place at this date and time. And then you've got another one right after that. Yeah. And I think the first one of that, uh, The Fall of Atlanta, is actually available for free through DriveThruRPG. So, uh, with regard to this series, I know a lot of people have read it. I think a bunch of people like it. Personally, I found it was uh, fairly mediocre in, in most respects. Uh, there's a few gems in there, particularly the uh, the Ravnos one and Setite. Those were written very well, uh, both by the same author. And they kind of intertwine, uh, both involved in finding the Eye of Hazamel, which is one of the uh, the overarching plots of the series. Other ones weren't that great, like the clan novel Malkavian is partially from the point of view of Anatole, and it's just some, I think it was written by Stuart Wick, and he's trying to write uh, from the point of view of a crazy person, which is hard to understand and pretty funky. It's definitely an interesting thing to check out, because it, uh, if you are really interested in the meta plot of, of Vampire the Masquerade, it's got a lot of the ideas for the big Sabbat invasion that was going on in 1999 to 2000. Uh, and it's got a lot of the uh, signature characters in it from uh, Thea Bell to Beckett and all the different people that you might see in like the, uh, the clan books and all of that. So, I mean, I'm, I've, I think I've read the Asamite, um, book in that series um 
I really can't remember the full plot details of that, but it involves, um, is it Fatima? Is it? Is that right? I yes, in, in the yeah. Asmite one it does. I think that has to do with, jeez, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, when like Ur-Shulgi wakes up and starts um, causing chaos in the ranks of the Asmites, mm. uh, if I remember correctly. And uh, clan novel Nasratu is more about the uh, taking back of New York. So the Camarilla uh, sets up their own forces to uh, take that city back from the Sabbat. It's it's an interesting series because it kind of shows the uh, discrepancy between second edition and revised. Um, there's some ideals, and and some of the writers are doing it in the more writing in the more in your face kind of like second edition outlook and other writers are, are doing more the uh, revised more subtle outlook uh that you can that you can run uh, vampire mm. with so yeah i don't know it's it's definitely it's part of the history and it can be something cool to check out but i would not say it's uh the best thing that white wolf put out by any means i mean it's it's quite important as you say though if it's if for players that want to to really get into the meta plot of the old world of darkness and in particular vampire, um, which is always good just to have more essentially reference material for events that they can possibly weave into their own chronicles if they wish to do so. Right, right. Leading off from that, actually, I feel the uh, the best Vampire the Masquerade novel is by far. Uh, it's actually not one of the Vampire the Masquerade novels. It's Predator and Prey Vampire, which is the first book uh. in the uh, Hunt of the Reckoning novel series. And it's written by Carl Bowen, and it's really good because it doesn't try to show a really like over-the-top plot where there's um, maybe like city sieges going on, like Sabat versus versus Camarilla, and these really like uh, upper echelon, like tier three ideas, yeah. if you want to use the uh, New World of Darkness term. Uh, it's just about a a Toreador vampire in the fictional city of Iron Rapids trying to find his uh, his child who has gone missing after uh, an incursion to Detroit. So it really does a good job of presenting Vampire the Masquerade, uh, the social aspects and all of that, without getting bogged down in trying to uh, make this really extreme plot. And I really enjoyed it for that. And actually, that, that Hunt of the Reckoning series is pretty good. Um, Carl Bowen wrote the vampire novel and also the mage novel, which I thought was... And the mage one I've read, um, and I have to agree, it's, again, as you say, it's like the whole taking the New World of Darkness term about the tiers. Yeah, it with the mage one, it, it just sets the tier at more, you know, tier two, maybe even tier one for mage, where mm-hmm. you're looking at this this mage dealing with um, the the technocracy. I can't remember all the full plot elements, but it involves eventually a crossover between this mage and a hunter, and the hunter realizing that the mage is not really the bad guy in all this, and realizing how monumentally wrong the technocracy are, and how their methods are, you know, lack complete morality in what they're doing. So it was nice just to see that kind of crossover bet- between the hunter and the mage with um, wanting to like 
in some ways protect humanity in this very small battle that's going on. And when mm-hmm. I say small, it's just because it takes place again in a single location, and you know the the the, the mage isn't flinging around fireballs. It's a very cool bit where I think he's he's um he's able to. Either it's not himself able to teleport. I believe he's able to teleport someone out of a uh, interrogation room, mm-hmm. and yep. in doing so, um, that that person in the interrogation room, the only sign that they've been there is a slowly falling apart um, uh, simulacrum of themselves, composed of uh, composed of dried leaves. And I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool, just to, as a kind of like the flavour of that. It gave you an idea that a majors has kind of a flavour to their magic. So, um, yeah, I guess predator, and, predator and prey would be, um, yeah, something decent to go and uh, to get the entire series off. I mean, even looking at at it now on Amazon, it's um, you can pick it up used. You can pick up predator and prey mage used for a. For one cent, <laughs> seriously. Nice, so nice. you you could you can go and grab these quite easily. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's also a werewolf novel in that, which is written by Gerbad Fleming, and uh, he's written a whole lot of the old World of Darkness fiction. And that one was pretty interesting because I was not too familiar with werewolf at the time. I just picked it up so I could continue the series, and I kind of liked it because. They didn't try to cram everything into this one city. It actually, the that part of the story takes place outside in the countryside where uh, there's uh, some stuff to do with Pentex going on. And, and the hunters themselves had just ended up uh, out there trying to escape the law and lay low for a bit. Uh, so that one was pretty good as well. So uh, as you can see, it's kind of this, it's sort of a crossover story in that it's... Uh, it melds all these different supernaturals together, but I think it's really successful in that because it only does them really one at a time. Yeah. Uh, in the final novel, there's some interplay between kindred technocracy and the imbued, if I remember correctly, um, uh, which is a little funky, but I'm just looking at it here now. It's called uh, was Predator and Prey? Oh, is it? Is it... Executioner. Yeah. It's almost looking looking at that series because um, we're gonna get, we'll get onto it when we get to the new order darkness. But it's kind of the way you're talking about some of the other books that you've you've read in the series. It's it feels familiar in the sense that it's almost the equivalent to what they did with Three Shades of Night, which they did for New Order Darkness. So yeah, we'll get back to that when we talk about New Order Darkness. So. Um, what other old World of Darkness books have you read, other than Predator and Prey and the, uh, and of course the Vampire Clan series? Let's take a a step back to the past and talk about the uh, the Dark Ages line. I haven't read yeah. too much of this. Uh, I read the first novel in the the Grail Covenant series, which is written by David Nail Wilson, if I remember correctly, and it was kind of interesting. It was definitely a, a different look. At what was going on at uh, what was occurring during the uh, Dark Ages setting. Uh, it's about a Lozambra vampire who is trying to find the Holy Grail, basically. And he goes to Jerusalem 
and uh, basically tracks it down. But there's these strange guardians there, and he's uh, ends up actually making the Knights Templar, which is pretty funky. It's like very overt and direct, which I didn't exactly agree with. But that's another example of how things are pretty in your face with with like the old second edition, like mid '90s World of Darkness. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool. I felt that the pros were a little lacking with that one because it seemed like every every scene was just like two or three characters on an empty stage. He didn't do a very good job of setting the scene, which makes it get a little boring. But if you want to stick around for the plot and setting, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And actually, the uh, Grail Covenants ties into another uh, novel trilogy, a trilogy of the Blood Curse, written by Gerbod Fleming again. Uh, and all of that was started by uh, a short story which which was actually in the Dark Tyrants anthology for, for Vampire the Dark Ages, which I know, Chris, you have read yourself. Yeah, the short story um, collection for Vampire the Dark Ages is excellent. I mean, it's been a while since I've read it, but it does have some wonderful stories that stand out. Um, uh, there's one in particular which um, looks at a vampire um, that's in torpor in on the island of uh, Santorini, which is the which is in the Aegean, which is well known for being volcanically active and being the island which I believe I think it's the island where the volcano exploded, which is meant to have taken out the Minoans. So it's a historically important location, um, and there's I think. The the, uh, the friend that was running Vampire the Dark Ages for us pulled quite a few of the stories from there and used them as background for some of the episodes we ran for our own chronicle. So I would definitely suggest that book, purely because once you've read it, you will understand how to how to how to role play a character in the Dark Ages and what uh, elements are in play in the setting and really understand what you can and can't do with your vampire because you have to kind of recondition your mind that, oh, I can get away with those type of things. Um, but yeah, really good book. I'm just trying to find some more more details on what short stories there are in that. But um, there's one that involves uh, a gangrel up in, I think, uh, either in Scotland or or Scandinavia with a, uh, a small village and protecting a bloodline. Um, and I'm trying to think if there was another one to do with some sort of black kind of a black monastery or something crazy like that. Hmm. There's there's some definite monk action in there with some vampires anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. The other thing that they produced for uh, for Dark Ages Vampires, they made an entire clan novel series for that, and I only have a couple of them, and I just started reading the first one. I got mm-hmm. like 10 pages in. Uh, it seems okay. It's again written by Gerbad Fleming. Um, the guy produced a whole lot uh, for, for the old World of Darkness. And it's interesting. Uh, it starts off with the sacking of Constantinople, so it's really action-packed uh, just from the beginning. Uh, I definitely know some uh, people have enjoyed that in the past. Um, so I've got 
hopes that it's it's slightly better than the Masquerade Modern Knights or Final Knights uh, clan novel series. I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to check that out in the future. Um, Vampire the Masquerade also had these couple of clan trilogies. Uh, I've been working my way through the Mazambra uh, clan novel trilogy, and it's pretty good. It's written by Bruce Bow. I thought the first book was great. Second book was great. Third one is dragging along. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of like they're like struggling to find the bad guys, but it's like, come on, you've already like revealed where they are. Basically, let's just speed things up and get this over with. Um, but that's interesting. It's about Lucita, the signature character, yeah, ninja assassin, death by titties, and. Uh, yeah, I think um of the uh, the other book in the clan series for Masquerade, I think I read the the La Sombra one. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what does she get up to? Um, well, it's it's following the uh, events in the clan novel series, so I probably don't really want to spoil everything that's yeah. going on because there's a really big plot point that happens. But she's rather confused about her place in kindred society, basically, and spends some time with the Camarilla, spends some time with. Uh, independence, Sabat, pretty much just all over the place. And uh, then gets involved in a uh, pretty epic tier three plot uh, regarding the Abyss, uh, since that's where the power of the Lazambra and their obtenebration comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's pretty good so far. I haven't finished it. Um, wow. Tons of stuff. Tons of stuff for Masquerade. There's also a, a Bruja or Bruja, however you want to pronounce it, uh, series or trilogy. There's a Tremere one, which, uh, from what I've heard, has very interesting prose. Uh, it's written okay. in a very poetic fashion. Um, so that might be something to check out. I don't know too much about it. And then I think it's pretty much everything for Masquerade, except for the Victorian Age Vampire Trilogy which I can never recommend enough. It's awesome. Okay. Main character okay. in book one is a regular human, regular mortal. Yeah. Book two, it's a ghoul. And book ah. three, it's a vampire. So it gives you an idea about every aspect of Vampire the Masquerade during that time period. Uh, it's got cool Victorian plots, gentlemen clubs. It's got Beckett. It's got Mithras because it takes place in London. All right, okay, yeah. It's got Anatole as they go to France. A little bit of everything. And, um, yeah, it's just, just tons of stuff going on, which is really cool. Uh, the only thing is that the ending is kind of annoying. It's like, it's like, uh, your PCs watch a, a cutscene. Like, the main characters get to the end, and then they just watch some other people do some stuff. And it's like, hooray, uh... we win. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> yes, that's a little lame. I, I did really not enjoy that. Not reading enough of the uh, old Order of Darkness um, novels, really. Um, well, you have to remember that of the Vampire the Masquerade stuff, I've recommended like nine out of <laughs> like thirty novels. So yeah, so I guess a third of them are good, uh, and that's pretty much it for Vampire the Masquerade. I can't tell you anything about werewolf fiction. Uh, maybe someone else can. Maybe I'll uh, we I'll should tap a. I'll tap Adrian Stagg of the Mirage Arcana, or formerly of the Mirage Arcana, because uh, he knows a lot about Werewolf. I know he's into uh, gaming fiction a bit. 
hopefully you can uh, give us some ideas uh, for, for what's good and what's not. Yeah, it'd be nice if you can do a kind of a, a rapid fire, so that kind of thing. Maybe or just shoot us an email. Um, yeah. Moving on, there's Mage. Uh, they didn't do too much for Mage. There was I, a. Uh, I cannot think of anything for Mage. What did they do for that? Uh, they did well. Predator and Prey Mage. We already mentioned before. Of course, it's pretty yeah. good. They did the Ascension Warrior trilogy or something. That was back in like second edition that they did that. It was like War and Horizon or something. I've heard it's terrible. To be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> Because they probably got some guy who doesn't know too much about the world of darkness and then gave him this really ridiculous and complicated cosmology that is Mage the Ascension and said run with it and then it probably didn't turn out that well. And then there might have been a couple of HarperCollins books. Uh, They did did some stuff. So I can't really tell you anything about that either, unfortunately. But uh, let's, uh, let's just jump on over to rate the oblivion now i have never seen a bad review of a rate the oblivion novel i've seen average but never bad and that's really surprising yeah i mean it's a great setting uh that really i think it didn't inspire like any kind of author um and that definitely shows in the in the fiction i have only personally read beyond the shroud which i thought was pretty good um, that one is about a, an, uh, a writer who dies and then gets, uh, involved in this, uh, this plot involving a, uh, a powerful relic, which is, uh, controlled by someone that's threatening his wife is, who is still alive. And, uh, he's also chasing after his daughter who, uh, died years ago and has been trapped in the Shadowlands. Uh, so... There's a lot of like pretty basic stuff. I'd say it's uh it's a tier one story, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh it's pretty good and it really does give you a good feel of how uh the Shadowlands and the uh, Wraith the Oblivion setting works. Yeah. In in addition to that, uh, they they put out a couple other novels. Um, there is the Dark Kingdoms trilogy, written by. Richard Lee Byers, who who's done some stuff for like Dragonlance and uh, and Forgotten Realms as well in the uh, you know the gaming fiction yeah genre if you will uh, that's a trilogy which I don't know anything about but I do own uh, they they produced an omnibus which has all three novels I think that's the only way to get the second two novels for that um, and I've I've definitely heard people like that uh so hopefully i can i can dig into that later i believe it involves an arcanum uh investigator who then gets uh dies or somehow gets trapped in the shadowlands and and works from there so that could be pretty cool there was also like two harper collins novels if i remember correctly i want to say caravan of shadows and and sins of the father written by sam chupp who we uh, recently had on the show yeah. and i've heard good things about both of those uh Richard Lee Byers, I believe, wrote uh, Caravan of Shadows as well. So he, he was definitely already experienced with Wraith before he uh, moved on to the Dark Kingdom trilogy. So, Chris, I don't know if you've had any experience with the Wraith fiction, but uh, there you go. They they released quite a bit. It's, I mean, it sounds awesome and something I would definitely want to pick up because I think, um, I think of all the Old World Dance games, 
Wraith is something I would more than like is the one game I would definitely want to return to the most purely because of the complete just originality of the setting um, even after playing a whole load of New World of Darkness stuff and then picking up uh, Wraith to read and then picking up Wraith the Great War and I think one of the hardest things when playing Wraith is really understanding what you know what the underworld and what the um, and the uh, the what's the term not shadow realm but you know what those areas are like for um, for rates and if they're all getting really high reviews because I think part of the thing that kind of puts me off and off certain world of darkness fiction and this 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 I think is I don't think it's I don't think it's limited to world of darkness fiction I think it's it's something that's linked to a lot of supernatural horror fiction um, is I just sometimes it leaves me just not very impressed. So to have something with such good reviews is is just awesome. I need to follow up because um, what I I think the thing that often puts me off certain novels and I think maybe vampire suffers from this is it often just reads like very bad. It can read like bad fan fiction where you have a bit of too much self insertion. Mm-hmm. Of, of characters um, Old World of Darkness wise the only other book I have read for Old World of Darkness was the Demon the Fallen anthology uh, Lucifer's uh, Shadow uh, I think that, that anthology you're mentioning is actually really hard to find uh, from what I've heard it's on yeah it's on it's on drive through you can pick it up for like two dollars it seems so that's true yay um it has some really good short stories in it. Um, the opening fiction um, is cool because it actually features Lucifer and his view on everything that's going on with um, with the release of the uh, the Fallen from Hell. And there's another really great short story which deals with a what would be the perfect. Um, uh, host for a demon, which is someone whose soul is completely uh, empty, and but it's more complicated than that when the host has a split personality and it uh, impacts on the possessing demon. So I would definitely recommend it. It's it's weird because I, I read the uh, that anthology for Demon the Fallen. I've never played Demon the Fallen let alone read the entire rule book all the way through. Um, and it kind of makes me want to uh, to uh, play Demon of Fallen at some point, or at least go back through it and heavily rip everything off for New World of Darkness. Um, but I would definitely suggest reading through that one. Because, um, it, again, it, it gives you a good a good overview of, of, the, uh, of the setting and... The perspective offered by Lucifer in the opening in the opening uh, fiction is really a great opening to the entire setting, and it's pretty. It's, I think, as I remember, it's pretty well written as well. I mean, if I read all of that, I, I considering what I hadn't even played uh, Demon, then um, it, I couldn't have been bored by it at all. Um, who's it say about the author uh, Philippe Boulle? Who was the uh-huh. 
managing editor of White Wolf Fiction at the time, and other books he's written with things, Tribe Novel Red Talons? And the Victorian Age Vampire Trilogy, bro. Oh, there we go, then. So, yep. yeah. No wonder there is good stuff floating around with that guy. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, that... Uh, I think that's... That's most of it. There is a mummy uh, trilogy. So there's three <laughs> mummy novels, but only two source books. Uh, go figure. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, four total if you include the previous editions. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they had some like uh, short story anthologies, uh, the quintessential World of Darkness, uh, and, and some other ones. Was there ever a... Book for the Kindred of the East? No. No. Uh. Pretty sure there wasn't. In addition, there was a uh, crossover. The they had this author uh, that they were publishing, Nancy Collins, and yeah. she re- she released a dozen Black Roses, which took her vampire vampire hunter splatterpunk character uh, Sanja Blue and put her yeah. into the world of darkness. Uh, I've got a copy of that, but I haven't read it yet. So I can't tell you if it's good or bad. I'm thinking it would be uh, there. There'd probably be some uh, weirdness with trying to shoehorn that character in. Yeah, and and maybe like it wouldn't be uh, too accurate to the canon. Um, but you never know. I still have to check it out. Uh, they also had the uh, <clears throat> classic uh, Eternal Hearts novel, which is. Um, the Vampire the Masquerade Erotica. Ah. Yeah. That, that, that I've never read, but that, that almost sounds like a wonderful, wonderful present for my wife. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. what? In, well, I would say, I say wonderful present because she is quite, uh, quite picky and cynical about uh, vampire literature and gets very annoyed with bad vampires. So it'll be a good joke present. Yeah. Good. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's... uh, I've never heard anything good about it. So... Yeah, I I think think I would buy it for the lols. (laughs) Cool. Um, Cool. Um, I guess that takes us up to New World of Darkness. Yeah, let's uh, shoot over to that segment. World of Darkness 2.0 So, what what fiction do they bring up for New World of Darkness? We had we had some Vampire the Requiem novels. Mm-hmm. There yep, was a trilogy, trilogy wasn't there? Was yep, there you trilogy? got it. It was three books. Um, there was was there a, there was a single. I'm sure, there was a single Werewolf the Forsaken book. No, um, no, that was never that was, it was that never was released. Listed, never released. I think Jess Hartley actually wrote it or wrote part of it, and then they uh, started to close down their their fiction department. Um, and so that really leaves the only other thing that was released was their crossover um, kind of collection, which was uh, Three Shades of Night, which yeah. looked at the big three. At the time, obviously, um, with that included a story for vampire, and then a story for werewolves, and then a story for mages. So um, I think I've read a little bit of um, of the first uh, Requiem 
uh, novel. Okay, well, um, I actually read all of it. Okay, cool. Zing. So uh, that was written, it's called A Hunger Like Fire. Yeah. It's written by Greg Stolze, and it's really good. Uh, just as a, uh, it's a good introduction to the world of, of Vampire the Requiem in that setting. It really does highlight a lot of the differences. Um, there's a little bit of funkiness, because as you know, they wrote Vampire the Requiem, the core book, really fast. Like, the development time was was really rushed. And yeah. um, that's kind of why it's sort of similar to Vampire the Masquerade. And, and Requiem has some of those similarities as well. Like, all of the Nasratu are all hideous looking. Um, which is something that they said is not exactly true in the core book. But uh, they, they were unable to edit that out of the uh, this novel right here. Mm-hmm. But it's really good at highlighting how, like, each night is really a struggle for for the kindred. Um, feeding is not easy. Uh the one of the main characters persephone has an entire calendar where she checks off like all right i fed from this guy this night so i'll check back with him in like a month and feed from him again and and just like having to be organized and meticulous like that and that's also highlights really cool because i i, I that's because i the thing i immediately remember from the book is just how well written is but um i only read the first few chapters so I really need to return to that because that's really cool to hear about a character being so meticulous about their feeding. Mm-hmm. Wow! And it also shows just like how dangerous the uh, the world of darkness can be. Uh, the same character Persephone is still like still talks to her family and uh, <laughs> has them fooled so far that she's like started a new job and uh, is working really late. That's why she only calls at night, uh, late at night at that. I guess that's. That's again. I was going to say that's that's also brilliant to see uh, written down because that kind of like that's almost to me a, a kind of a message of you know not all vampires have to be these complete loners that have just discarded their entire history, which is so easy for players to go oh they, they don't, their families in another city and all this stuff to so actually you know mm-hmm. having that is wonderful plot so that's really neat. Yeah, and it's interesting because the uh, some of the older vampires in this novel are trying to convince her that she needs to stop talking to them. Mm. Um, so that's great. Uh, most of the chronicle actually centers around, uh, or sorry, story, not chronicle, centers <laughs> around this one character. Uh, his name is uh, is Bruce, but uh, his nickname soon becomes Bruce because he's a Nosferatu and uh, is not very pretty to look at. Um, and there's some, some really great stuff that happens with him and how he, uh, he doesn't know that he becomes a vampire and like stumbles back home in the very beginning. Uh, his wife tries to beat him up and uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of hilarity ensues along with, uh, very horrible stuff. And that's something I, I noticed about this, um, compared to like the new world of darkness novels, there's some really gritty stuff. Uh, there's like involvement with a, uh, there's a scene with a like a kitty rapist and uh that sort of thing when as opposed to like a an old world of darkness book where the horror is supposed to come from them fighting some abyssal monster or some yeah. like, some like super powerful tremere and that kind of stuff it's really interesting to see it get more more down to earth uh in comparison mm. 
so that's that's a hunger like fire and i would actually really recommend it uh you can definitely find it online for cheap uh whether pdf or just getting a physical copy um next up with that trilogy is i don't remember the title i think it was blood in blood out by lucian Soulban. yeah um and that was kind of weird because I think it was the same characters, but it was a different author. Uh, and you kind of took the story in a different direction. Uh, I don't know too much about it because I haven't read it. But I don't think it was as well received as the uh, two Greg Stolte novels in this trilogy. Because it actually finishes off with a third. Uh, the third novel is written by Greg Stolte. Mm-hmm. So that's that's all cool. And... And Chris, you've read Three Shades of Night, so I guess we should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, Three Shades of Night uh, takes um, takes a look at the Chicago setting because that's like the de facto setting for uh, for um, the world of darkness in general. Um, and so each uh, story in that um, is from the point of view of a character from each of the big three games. So. The first story looks at the point of view from a vampire, the next one looks at the point of view from a werewolf, and the next one looks at the point of view for a mage. And they, the, these three stories all tie together to tell a larger story. Um, and again, it gives you a really good kind of like insight into um, how each of these groups um, operate both on their own and with each other. So, um, so in the first story, um, I'm trying to think of the main character, uh, the signature character for the Mechet in the Requiem rulebook. What's his name? Oh, it escapes me right now. But um, it's from his point of view, and he's a member of the Circle of the Crone. Um, it has a few cool scenes to do with uh, rituals that um, the crone perform or, or kind of like the I believe there's a bit where they do a outdoor ritual and the difficulty of getting there for the moment just before um, sundown or something like that and the whole plot really is uh, to do with this um, a blood disease um, which then gets out of hand and is part of some something larger so obviously it kind of it's nice to read about how the vampires will get involved with really anything if they see it as a threat to them to their own masquerade um so in the case of a blood disease, they have to get involved to find out if it's something being spread by uh, a member of their of the kindred within the city um the werewolf story looks at a character that i believe if I remember rightly, comes from a a, uh, a pack based in uh, Colorado, and he ha- he is sent, I believe, by visions or something, um, to to go to Chicago, and he um, he has to essentially muscle his way into a pack that's already there, and so it gets into the whole issues of how packs work, and. In that story, you get a wonderful crossover moment where there are where this pack of werewolves and a few mages and this lone circle of crone vampire finally meet. And the one the wonderful thing about that scene 
is to do with how really the interaction between the, these uh, these groups because they're not immediate enemies they distrust each other and there's the whole vampires beast versus the 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 ever present beast of a werewolf um, but it, it's nice to see the the balance between these different groups and why they can cross over so easily and it's quite inspirational for games that you you could you as as a as a role play group could then run um, as a big crossover game, um, and then eventually the plot is uh, finished in the uh, the mage part, um, and again it gives you a bit of insight into how the cons- how like uh, mage cabals work in the consilium. So it, it's really a good just overview of the entire new world of darkness without getting too bogged down in in each of the respective games like so the first story as i say about vampires really keeps it keeps it um trimmed down to this character as a member of the circle of crone really that's all you you get to see you hear reference to other things but they're not gonna you're not bashed over the head by it um looking at the author's list we have for this um authors are janet Trout Vetter and Sarah Rourke and Miranda Sarrow. So I believe that's in respective order for each of the uh, stories in there. Um, And again, as you said, like with the the vampire um, stories, the it's not absolutely gonzo batshit insane stuff they're up against. it begins as a rather mundane, I would say, I say mundane, but it begins as a rather mundane issue for the vampires, which through the investigations slowly escalates. And you see that escalation of the plot through the other, through the other stories. So, and there's, again, there's another wonderful scene where you have um, this, the, the main werewolf character teamed up with a mage and they're investigating a uh, a corpse, and it's interesting seeing how each of the characters uses their own respective skills and has a kind of a, a silent respect for what they're capable of doing. Um, so I again I can't I can't recommend that enough. It's um, it's great, it's cheap, um, and. It's not a difficult read, and it's not a bad read, and it doesn't read like bad fan fiction. So, I yeah, highly recommend that. Cool, cool. Yeah, the thing I want to bring up um, about the new world of darkness fiction, and you've uh, most people probably already heard this uh, regarding uh, White Wolf and what they're planning to do with it. Uh, these novels, uh, like the Requiem trilogy, the Forsaken novel that didn't come out. There was supposed to actually be kind of the meta plot in the story of the New World of Darkness. So if you just want to follow along with the story, you just had to pick up the novels, and then it wouldn't like infect the uh, the RPG source books in the way mm. that they had with uh, a lot of the later books for the Old World of Darkness. So you'd still have that story, which you could actually follow in your game if you really wanted to, but the meta plot wouldn't affect all the source books. And it's really unfortunate that uh, they kind of shut down their uh, their 
their fiction department, which uh, seemed to be because, like, uh, the physical, like, print novels uh, and, like, bookstores were in a pretty pretty funky situation. And they still are. Um, We're seeing a lot more movement towards digital product right now, which uh, I would expect White Wolf will uh, put out some ebooks in the future, e-novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they already have. They've been putting all this, stuff, all the old World of Darkness books, uh, in PDF and uh, a couple in like EPUB format, uh, for people to pick up. So that's pretty cool. Um, so it's really unfortunate. But as of, I believe October 2010, they've started putting out fiction again because they had this uh, this fiction contest, and they in fact yeah, had two yeah. winners um, way back in 2005. And they finally start putting it out uh, for free on their website. Uh, the first one is Strangeness in the Proportion, which I read the first two chapters of. Uh, it's really strangely written. Um, strangely written. Um, yeah, yeah, like I was a, not a bit able... of a overview of kind of what you think the plot is about from the first two chapters you've read. I mean, yeah, I didn't really know what's going much. on. The the prose were pretty. It was, like, all over the place. Um, I think I read in one of the comments, like, the author saying was an autistic vampire. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty weird and funky. But uh, some people seem to enjoy it, so good for them. And, of course, Chris, you've been reading The Silent Knife, correct? Yeah, I've read, I think, uh, I've read about maybe the first four chapters of it. Um... I mean, it's nice to be able to read some vampire fiction again. Um, it's okay. It had a, it's had um, it has a few interesting scenes in it. It so- seems to be, from what you've said about the other one, significantly easier to read. Um, um, however, I would say it has a few elements in it that are a little bit too cliched, kind of. Underworld Blade esque, which you know, it's um, which kind of left me feeling a bit kind of used because um, I'm just like, I just felt why was I re- you know, I don't want to see that. I thought to me that's not what Requiem really is about. Um, so I was a bit disappointed in that way, but I'm, I'm going to keep reading it and you know, hopefully the later chapters redeem it by introducing some other interesting plot elements um and again it's it's i guess it's kind of cool because it's it's it shows how things you can do with requiem so it doesn't go out of its way trying to present all the covenants and overload you with information um i don't think even in the in the book it even mentions the word lanka in sorry in the, the fiction so far i've read it doesn't even mention the term lanka sanctum Though they're quite obviously vampires of the Lancaster Sanctum, um, so it has a few, it has a good scene or two of the uh, Lancaster rituals, um, and it's all to do with a, a uh, kind of like a, a siege, classic you know Sabat versus Camarilla style, but more to do with a difference of ideology between two different groups of Lancaster Sanctum. So. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's it's worth reading if you can look past the katanas. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, what about that uh, that one scene you were telling me about uh, before the show? Yeah. Uh, the 
the Lankia Sanctum ritual. Yeah. It's like a, it's, um, it, uh, essentially the scene's kind of like a glorified kind of, uh, I wouldn't say vaniculum, but it's, um, because I don't really want to spoil it too much because I think it's a really good scene and that people should really read it and then use it in their own games. Um, but it looks at, it, it's nice because it really gets across the, the Lancare Sanctum and, and really the theme behind a bunch of, of, uh, you know, religious, um, pseudo-Christian vampires. Um, so, yeah, I, that's why I'm going to persevere and read the rest of it. Um, I can't remember how many parts are out so far, but I think it released, like, part seven recently, so I think it's on, like, about chapter eight. Um, and, uh, no, it's it's okay. As I say, there's a few bits I'm not too happy with, but um could be worse. could be worse. <laughs> It could, All right. could be a lot worse. Um, actually, I guess I, I guess that could bring us to uh, an interesting point. Is just um, you know, because I mean we've been talking about all these old world of darkness and new world of darkness books for um, because they, they're good to read as fiction and good to read for inspiration for games. Um, are there any particular um, other fiction? you would kind of suggest for any uh, World of Darkness role-playing? Um, off the top of your hat, just because they're, they're generally good? Because I, I get... When I walk into a bookstore now, there's an entire section where where horror kind of used to be. That's now being shrunk, and all you get is now paranormal romance. And mm. myself and my wife just stand there looking at this and thinking, I do want to read something about vampires. I I do, I do, I do. And you just look at it and go, where the hell do I start with this pile of madness? And, you know, you pick up the back of one of these books, you look at the back, and you go, oh, really? And then you kind of, it's another vampire who has a club and his name's something like Dante or something stupid. We did find a book that was literally a ripoff of, um, of Lestat uh, for all intents and purposes. And, you know, you flick it open and pretty much within two or three pages you'll find more badly written, you know, erotica, essentially. Um, so, yeah, what what stuff's out there that's worth reading, would you say, that you've picked up recently or, or just read in general? <clears throat> well, I can tell you what Mark would say. Yeah. Anything uh, written by Clive Barker. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> well, picked up recently. I picked up a copy of Interview with the Vampire, but I haven't actually read it. Actually, I think my girlfriend stole it from me. Um, so she's been reading it, and you know, that's that's pretty good. I mean, it, it definitely has uh, some of the, the basic concepts and ideas that were brought in for Vampire the Masquerade. Read it fully, because um, my wife has the entire, has the entire Anne Rice vampire collection of novels which I need to work through and um, but yeah Interview with the Vampire is excellent it's um, to put it this way it was a book I was able to easily put down and then when I picked up again I knew exactly where I was within it because it's it's that well written um, like the scenes are, are put together so well and um, there's just like some really nice bits in it which they left out of the movie but um but are are great 
have in there as inspiration because there's the whole there's the whole there's whole sections when you know uh, Louis and um, is traveling um, with uh, Claudia, which is is kind of glossed over in the film, but um, there's a few scenes in the book which are, are 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 there to do with their travels, looking for other vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, other vampire stuff I've written, well, read. Um, There's a necroscope. That's uh, yeah, good for old water darkness over the top craziness. I guess that's a yeah, it's a pretty funky one. Um, definitely, of course, inspired the Zamitsu. You've already covered that on the show. Yeah. Uh, there's a, uh, one of the main characters, I can't remember his name, uh, you can, like, see and talk to the dead, so, I can give you some ideas for, uh, government agencies and, uh, and, and psychics, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, one book series that I, I, I wouldn't recommend reading it all, I read, like, the first two in the series, it's rather throwaway fiction. And it got turned into a really crappy TV series uh, called Blood Ties. Um, are you aware of it? I uh, I unfortunately watched the show. Yeah, so, you know, he's the, what's his name? Uh, the illegitimate son of Henry VIII. Um, anyway, the second book in that series um, deals with a, with said vampire and the feisty, going-blind private investigator um, helping out a family of werewolves. And I have to say it's quite good to read that one just as a bit of inspiration for how werewolf packs would really work as family units and having to deal with the idea of, um, like, how to deal with, with when werewolf instinct comes to the fore when when uh, their children are maturing and how they have to deal with that because obviously the last thing you want is any form of breeding of wells going on because of instinct um, and yeah I think it's it's useful for that otherwise you know it's got ridiculous kind of light-hearted erotica bits in it but at least it's not um, it's not Laurel K. Hamilton's stuff. Ugh. Ugh. Have you have you ever touched any of the um, of her work with? I can't even, I can't even think uh, of yeah. Vampire Hunter. It's just like I just smash my brains out looking at those books, going, "No, no, it doesn't exist." And then you pick up her books about changelings and fae, and go, "No, in fact, this is even worse." Yeah. Um. Well, for a uh, for a Secret Santa this past year, I. Uh... <laughs> I had to spend twenty dollars, so I got like thirteen dollars worth of candy and a Laurel K. Hamilton novel, and boxed that up. And a dude ended up with it. <laughs> well, uh, he said he was going to give it to his girlfriend, and I uh, have not spoken to him again. Brilliant. <laughs> um, I really hope he didn't give that to anyone. I really hope he like forgot it and burned it or something. Oh. Uh, Seriously, the the, the Laura K. Hamilton's stuff about changelings. Seriously, um, my wife had a copy of it of one of the books, and as a joke, 
pretty early on when we were just only just started going out went have you ever, have you seen this have you read this and i was like no why have you read it she goes bits and then you just flick it open and you go on Oh my god, a gratuitous sex scene between changelings and fae-like creatures, and the reason is so contrived. Um, I can't stand it. The other things I can't stand is um, I just can't bring myself to read at all, like looking at the backs of... Um, is things like True Blood, I just... It annoys me. I think my issue is that a lot of vampire fiction out there right now, and I say vampire fiction pretty much any supernatural fiction out there right now just reads like mm-hmm. bad fan fiction of people that played World of Darkness stuff 10 years ago you know they finally got a, a, a contract for some books and they just put them out there I think the latest in vogue thing is um, is angels and demons rather than vampires so and yet they're basically the same cookie cutter characters, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. You know, it's the same issues, the same hang-ups. It's nothing. It's nothing really out there. I mean, you only have to look at um, some of the terms used in these books. Like, um, I think it's in True Blood that you know, as they slowly introduce all the other supernatural creatures, they bring in werewolves and then they bring in changelings and something else i think they refer to them as as the night kind uh, or they have a council and it's when you start reading those elements to it you're just like oh my god they and they base tv series on this and then you realize there's something called the vampire diaries and you go well yeah fine um but anyway back to good super, uh, supernatural paranormal fiction um sh- I, I think it basically just comes down to um, what works for if you, you, really. Well, what works for you, but look for like the older, more yeah. like, classic stuff that's stuck around, because that's usually going to be a good idea. Most of the current stuff, no one's going to remember in uh, in a couple of years anyway. Yeah, I would say as uh, that's why you. Know, I think that's why picking up, having read Interview with the Vampire, is why that's so different is because many of these more recent novel series um, they read like as you say they're so cookie cutter they're just they're just screaming turn me into another genre TV series and so they don't really have any substance in their own right because they're, they're just trying to be a, a vessel of to market some new intellectual property which is half-baked and obviously uninspirational so yeah older if you're gonna read i think read something old definitely Um, all right chris i think we're done yeah we've we've talked for like 90 minutes at this point uh rambled quite a bit forgot to mention changeling the dreaming fiction oh wow yeah which is from what i've heard is all terrible so don't don't bother don't worry about it and Um, uh cool that's it i'm I'm glad we got this episode through uh when mark wasn't here because I think he really detests World of Darkness fiction, and uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say I'll, I'll um I will uh, endeavour to have my wife do some reviews of anything and see if she can write anything for the for my own gaming blog and you know on you know how fiction can be used and with regard to uh, role playing. Um, because I think there could be some merit in doing some book reviews like that after this episode. 
So, very cool. Yeah. And I'm sure Mark will have loads of book reviews to write by a certain, about a certain author. <laughs> um. <laughs> cool. All right. So I think that's it for this episode. Uh, of yeah. course, Dark Days Radio can be found on darkerdays.tk. That's our, uh, our main feed and website. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Just type in uh, into your iTunes search bar, uh, Darker Days Radio or uh, Darker Days Podcast. Either one will work. Uh, shoot us an email over at uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. Uh, yeah, we're on Facebook. Twitter. We're everywhere. And uh, I think that's it. All right, Chris, thank you very much. And, Cheers, uh, We'll see everyone next time. Yep. Ciao.